This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Obviously, the the talk of the town uh, over the last couple of days has been what happened Saturday night in uh, Lock Street and surrounding area. Uh, it was a, a frightful situation for people that uh, were having a lovely Friday night at some of the great establishments on Lock Street, some great restaurants, some great night spots, and then uh, about 30 people that were dressed completely in black wearing balaclavas uh, were throwing rocks, throwing eggs, uh, damaging cars, damaging businesses, and it was a, a frightful experience for the people that uh, not just were there for the evening, but for the people that own businesses there. Chaotic. They were all in complete black from their shoes to their heads. They had like balaclavas on. I don't know what they were doing or what they were trying to say. Um, I mean, if they, if they had a message, it, it's not really coming across. We're told that uh, about $100,000 damage was done by these uh, group of losers that uh, decided to terrorize uh, not just the Lock Street area, but uh, surrounding areas. Uh, we're going to talk to a number of people that were involved and have uh, a great deal of knowledge about these sorts of things uh, in the next couple of minutes on the program. As uh, Hamilton residents rallied to support, I mean, it was wonderful to see the scene Sunday as uh, so many people rallied to support the, the, the businesses on Lock Street that have been adversely affected. But uh, we are left with a lot of questions. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Where is the investigation going on this? And, and how do the people in that neighborhood and those neighborhoods that were impacted by this feel about this? Mark Stewart is with the Kirkendale Neighborhood Association, joining us on the Bill Keller Show to talk about this. Mark, thank you for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Bill. Uh, uh, it's, it's great it's, to be here. Well, listen, it sounds like a cliche, but this isn't supposed to happen in your neighborhood. <laughs> it's uh, definitely a, 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 a shock for, for all of us, for sure. Uh, especially the, some of the stuff that we know, and we're just trying to piece this together from some of the anecdotal information. And, and I, obviously we're focusing a little bit on Lock Street, a lot on Lock Street, because of the businesses that were impacted. But this started in a very quiet residential area, the Duran Park neighborhood, which is actually a fair distance away from that, and uh, uh, which I guess much to the shock of an awful lot of the people in, in that neighborhood. You don't expect to see this sort of gathering or these kind of protests uh, start to assemble. No, you you wouldn't. But I think what's really important, honestly, is just the the, the amazing support that that that, that we've had in, in wake of the uh, the violence. Talk to us about that and the impact that that's had. You know the 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 uh, the street and the neighbors have have all been t- 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 together. Uh, Lock Street uh, on Sunday was one of the one of the the busiest it's been in in, in a while. Uh, you've got uh, messages of love and support uh, from from all over over. Uh, Hamilton, um, Andrea Horvath has uh, even su- su- suggested a day of, of getting together. I think she's called it Love uh, Love Lock Day on Saturday, M- M- March 10th, where everyone can get can can get, get can get together, get out, and uh, enjoy the area. And that's wonderful to see. And, and even yesterday, of course, in response to this, there's almost like an organic response, uh, not anything that was officially organized, just a whole lot of people from this community that said we're going out there to show our support. Absolutely, it, it was it, it was nice to to net to see. I know uh, all kinds of neighbors who just went out, to, out for, for the 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 day, uh, canceled plans just to to uh, to go to get out and, and uh, enjoy Lock Street. What's what's going to happen here as a result? I mean, I, I'm not sure what the motivation is. Why these people did what they did, we don't even know who they are. Uh, there's an awful lot of speculation about that. But whatever their intent was, Mark, what seems to have happened here is this has drawn this community together. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I like you, you, uh, like you, your, your word. Actually, uh, losers. I I can't think of of, a, of anything else. Uh, well, I got a lot more words, but I'm not going to use them <laughs> on the air. Uh, me too. Uh, I understand. But it's. Uh, it, I guess out of this whole thing comes a silver lining, and maybe that's what we have to take away from this. Uh, yes, 
I, absolutely. I think uh, I think that in in the wake of this kind of of a census act, uh, the uh, support that, that that we've received from, from everyone in, in Hamilton has, has been has been uh, wonderful, and we everyone and everyone on lock and all our entire neighborhood really a. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, great talking with you again today, and uh, we'll uh, obviously stay in touch as this uh, develops over the next couple of days, but thanks for this today. Okay. Our pleasure. Thanks a lot, though. Mark Stewart, Kirkendale Neighborhood Association. Uh, I want to bring Anthony Urcioli into the conversation, of course, reporter, Global News uh, reporter, and, of course, uh, sports anchor uh, in the morning run here on uh, 900 CHML. Uh, Urch, you live in the neighborhood. You're not right on lock, but you're not too far, just a block or two away. Yeah. So you know the neighborhood. It's And, frankly, uh, you know, I was talking about... Saturday night, there's a, obviously a packed house at Matson and Company, as there always is, and there are people yeah, over at the Shima West End. and West End. Some great night spots there. West there. Town, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this this had to sh- just scare the daylights out of people that were there. You know what? It's, it's actually, in retrospect, I feel bad because I was kind of yelling at my dog because I, we were walking. Um, I, I live a few blocks away from Locke, and I was taking my dogs for a walk, and I heard, like, the firecrackers that were being thrown. But I just... I mean, there's a lot of noises in that area, so I just kind of whatever, uh, and the dog's barking, and I kind of you know got mad at her for barking so much, and uh, she obviously knew something. So, you know, I, I'll tell you the part that I actually get when this topic has come up in the last couple of days, I almost feel a little bit of anxiety just because I'm I get emotional over it because you live in the area, you know the business owners, you start talking to people, you see that, you know, I mean, my dog's cafe. You know, I know the woman that owns it. She works literally every day of the week, you know, from st- open to close. She's not making millions and displacing people in the air. It just, it's it's so, um, it, it, well, you know, the, let he, me ask you about that yeah. right there. Because, I mean, I've seen some of the reaction and some of the descriptions, both in the in the media and on social media. Uh, and and uh, by the way, I, I don't like this term protesters. I didn't, no. These are not protesters. No. These are vandals. These, no. are, these are criminals. And they're not an anti-gentrification well, No, and anybody that j- makes Why would you make that leap? Nobody talked. Nobody said, hey, I'm the spokesperson for this group. No. They're a bunch of cowardly yeah. people that ran in and destroyed a whole bunch of property, then took off again. Yeah, I mean, they, they here's, yeah, so he, here's the thing. And I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. I, I know Ron Mattai at Madison yeah. & Company. Yeah, I know sure. the guys that run the West Town. I know, you know, Dana down at, at Olive's Odd and so many other businesses, mm-hmm. Reno and the hairstyle, on and on it goes. We know these people, Here, and, and we know how much work they put into these businesses, yeah. and it's their hard-earned money. I don't want to. I have to be careful because there's things I don't know as completely factual but have a pretty good idea of. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this. This is not a one-time incident. This has been going on. I can tell you that um, if you've heard of the organization Try Hamilton, I think Krista Boyer is coming on. Krista is uh, going to be on later this next. hour, and Krista could speak to it more. She, you know, she runs she Try Hamilton. It. Yeah, and I and I'm a member of her. I'm, I'm, I volunteer with Try Hamilton. I'm part of her team, and yeah, she lived it. She lived through these. Are they the exact same people? I don't know, but I'm going to take the leap and say there's a connection only in that this idea of vandalizing small businesses in Hamilton has been going on for years. There's particular places on Barton Street specifically that have been targeted, windows smashed um, to the point where they just they they went to they've talked to police personally, they've talked to the city personally. When I see things like that, this is this like shocking incident, and I don't know how many city officials knew this was going on, but this has absolutely been going on for multiple years, and the ungovernables and all that stuff. It is a group that claim to be fighting gentrification. 
realistically, I mean, if if that is your motive, and gen- no one no one disagrees with the fact that displacement gentrification, this is these are all real issues. But if your only instinct, instead of like taking businesses, sitting down, asking for meetings, to my knowledge, none of that has occurred. The first instinct and the first reaction has been vandalism, violence, intimidation, with your face covered. It, it is sometimes the word gets thrown around, but I mean, it, it is an act of terror. You frightened a bunch of innocent people sitting down for dinner and a bunch of, a bunch of business owners. And you did so in the name of, you're going to call it anti-gentrification, anarchy, anti-capitalism, whatever you want to call it. To me, it's just an excuse to go and smash things because for whatever reason, you feel angry enough to do so. So I think calling them anti-gentrification or or some people have been calling um, calling them Antifa. No, don't even give them that much credibility. No, that's legitimizing what they're doing. It's legitimizing it. There's no per- There's no end game. There's no purpose. And I'm seeing people on social media, especially, saying, "Well, maybe the real conversation is we should be. Maybe they're opening our eyes to gentrification." And it's like, shut up, stop, stop legitimizing anything that was done. The issues that they had that, that that you might have with gentrification are gone about in much different ways. But not not that I would advocate actually, you know, vandalizing a big corporation. But I want to point out, Starbucks is on that street. Again, I don't want to see anything happen to Starbucks, but if that is your real point about big corporations and gentrification, they didn't touch Starbucks. They literally, I mean, they vandalized, you know, a, a baking, sh- a place that makes whoopie pies and a place that, a cafe for dogs. I mean, come on. Look, at, there's, there's a couple of things here, and, and, and I'm not going to suggest that what happened on Saturday night on Lock Street is akin to what happened in Toronto with the G20, but it's a variation on that theme, mm-hmm. that there may well have been people at the G20 conference in Toronto that year that had some serious concerns. I think we all had some serious concerns about governance and about the way things should be happening, mm-hmm. and that's a, a, that's a time for protest, yeah. where people have come out there and said, "I this is my issue, I'm, I've got a problem with this, I want to protest this. That's what we do in a free and democratic society. But we also know that at the G20, that there were a bunch of jerks that just said, I yeah. love smashing stuff. Yeah. I just, let, let's go to Toronto, baby, because then we can turn over cars Looking and set them for on an fire. excuse. And don't tell me that that same element and that same mindset wasn't evident on Locks. No. Yeah. They were just going down the street, wrecking stuff, yeah. throwing glass, you know, th- throwing rocks through glass, you know, defacing cars, especially high-end cars. And again, yeah, exactly. What, what does destroying cars have to do with anything you're supposedly out there trying to raise awareness for? No, it's, it's crazy. I mean, any sympathy, any type of this, well, just just stop. It is what it is. It was an act of vandalism and violence, and that is all it was. I, and, and again, there's going to be a lot of speculation, and will continue to be speculation. By the way, we should tell you that we did try to reach out to Hamilton Police to try to get some comment about this, and uh, they were not available to do this, and I find that unfortunate. Because there's a lot of questions here. I, I, uh, and, I, I, uh, m- paramount among them is the fact that this did not start on Lock Street. This started in Duran Park, yeah. which is a fair distance away. That's only a block away from yeah. St. Joe's Hospital. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm and not apparently sh- police yeah. did respond to that. Two officers responded. This is what we know so far. Mm-hmm. Two officers responded to Duran Park and were immediately pelted with rocks and eggs. Mm-hmm. They called for backup, and they yeah. said, well, it took a, a few minutes for people to respond. Are you kidding? Yeah. It took them long enough to let them walk from Duran Park all the way over to Lock Street. That's about a 15-minute walk. Yeah. Where were the police? P- police were, by the way, assaulted at the Tri-Hamilton event when, I mean, assaulted, not people, like their hats were stolen yeah. and they were being pushed by people that have uh, similar goals. I'm not going to say they're the same people, 
But I'll tell you what, there was an anarchist book fair um, that I was going on all weekend. Right across the road here. And at Westdale, and the group that runs it, I don't want to say their name, but there is a clubhouse downtown on Cannon Street. Um, that group was questioned. Do you know what happened? Is it related? They said no comment. Well, okay. That's all I need to hear right there. And, and, and I know that Joe Warmington, our, our friend from the Toronto Sun, came into town to check this out, and, and he made the same inquiries mm-hmm. and was basically told to get lost. They didn't well, want that's any some media. coincidence if it wasn't connected. Let's yeah. put it that way. And, 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 you know, there was some speculation that, well, some people from out of town that were here for that, that event uh, may have been yeah, involved. I don't po- know whether possible. they were or not, but it's you're possible. suggesting that there's a Hamilton element to this regardless. There's an anarchist. There are There is one particular anarchist group in Hamilton that particularly targeted uh, the Tri Hamilton event. They have a name. They have a clubhouse, and this has been again. Were they directly involved? At that I can't say. But this has been something they've been fighting for, um, and they they were the ones that were questioned, by the way, by Global News as to whether they knew anything about this, and they said no comment. So, but it raises questions about how the police handled this. And, and the, I understand it's a Saturday night, and I don't know what else is going on around town. I know that you yeah. know that Saturday night's usually a rather active night. But when you get a situation like this where officers are being pelted with rocks and, mm-hmm. and eggs and and they say, yeah, we're waiting for backup. I know that the emergency response team eventually yeah. came on side. I don't know how long it takes to call those guys and get everybody organized. But if it's 15 minutes, I, I'm a little concerned so about he, that. Here's where the catch-22 is and in, in kind of why it's a very difficult job nowadays. Um, as a police officer, if you saw them organizing and marching, legally – you t- you can't stop them, so here's the so he- here's where the problem is. Now, when they start throwing stuff at you, yeah, and I don't know what happened there. So then I would say, yeah, why didn't they? Um, but assuming they were just marching toward the street and police were following them, like people said, oh, they had a police escort. Well, I don't think it was an escort, but police were watching them come down the street. Let's say they technically can't do anything until that first rock is thrown or that first car is smashed. Because if they had, we would have a whole other issue about police being too violent against innocent protesters. So there is the catch-22 there. I don't, we, we don't know the details, I guess, and we'll have to wait for those. But I, I will tell you that, again, this issue with the protesters that are fighting for this similar cause and the anarchists in the city, they have been known to police and to the city. I don't know who in the city, but I do know that there have been meetings with the city and police about them well in advance of what happened over the weekend. And Unfortunately, maybe it took something this severe for them to finally be able to do something about it. But uh, yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not going to legitimize what they ha- what they did on Saturday night by suggesting that gentrification is a cause, and that's a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah, it's but, a totally separate issue. But like, connecting but, them. But even if even if one or two of the the bozos that were doing this mm-hmm. had that in their mind. The Duran neighborhood, the Kirkendall neighborhood, and Lock Street are not the places where you de- we debate gentrification. No. That's that's not what's going on there, people. Yeah, they didn't go to Walmart. They went to you know again my dog cafe. I I, I harp on them because again like the sweetest like they're a cafe no, I for dogs. I, I, I mean come on, it really they're the one. That, they are what's displacing people uh, in downtown Hamilton. It's just it's, it's crazy. Well, like I say, we we'd love to get some answers from Hamilton Police, and we will endeavor to do that. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much. Good yeah. to have you with us today, Anthony Nurcioli, who of course just lives a block or so away, walking the dog on Saturday night when the firecrackers and the uh, the rock throwing started. On Lock Street. We'll have to do a break. We're going to continue our coverage of what happened on Saturday night on Lock Street and surrounding areas right after this. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
Talking Lock Street this hour about what happened on Saturday night and the, the fallout from that uh, horrific event that occurred. A lot of emails, a lot of social media response to this. I appreciate that at uh, bkelly900chml.com on email and on Twitter at chml. Bill Kelly. Dave writes, uh, there are not adequate words in the English language to describe the actions and characters of these cowards. This gang is deliberately attempting to kill Hamilton's comeback. We as a community need to push back. My message to these cowards, get out of town. Uh, look at, and I understand, you know, we talked with Mark Stewart from uh, the Kirkendall neighborhood at the beginning of this hour, and, and Mark had a very positive message on this, and we, some of the business owners that have been impacted, some of them had uh, windows smashed and businesses disrupted, uh, have been praising the, the way that the community has rallied around that. And that's a great story, and it's not surprising because that's Hamilton, that's what they do. And I know this is supposed to be a love lock thing coming up next weekend, and that's, that's kind of nice. But right now, you should be angry. You should be angry that this even happened, that there are people in this community that would perpetrate these kind of deeds on small businesses, and that an action like this can happen. And people can actually move from Duran Park all the way across over to Lock Street, march down Lock Street, and start terrorizing people that are out there spending their money trying to help the local economy, damaging cars, desecrating properties. You should be angry. And we should be demanding some answers about why this happened and how this happened and who's supporting them. And that there are people that support them. I'm shocked at some of the stuff I've seen on social media. Oh, maybe they have a point. Absolutely not. There is no excuse. There is no rationale. There is no justification for idiots like this walking down the street, smashing businesses and smashing cars. That's not protesting. That's vandalism. And it's illegal, and it's breaking the law. And the law should be coming down heavily on them. We'll get some more of your comments in just a couple of minutes. Uh, when we were talking with Anthony Urcioli, uh, who was uh, there in the neighborhood when this happened on Saturday night, he lives in the neighborhood, uh, he mentioned about the Tri-Hamilton program that's been going on. Krista Boyer is with Tri-Hamilton. She's been on our program before talking about that, and it's a great attempt to try to get the good news out about Hamilton and uh, and she has been, well, running into things like this in the past. And uh, first of all, she joins us on the program. Chris, I want to thank you for jumping in today on short notice. Appreciate the time. Oh, thanks for having me, Bill. I wish I was here under different circumstances. Well, so do I. And, and uh, you, you know what? You could be forgiven if you just sat there and said, well, been there, done that. Because you've seen this before, haven't you? Uh, many times over. Uh, it, although I don't want to take away from uh, as far as what everyone experienced on Lock Street because it was atrocious. We did have an event um, which was somewhat parallel, uh, but not, not to the same detrimental effect, uh, though still, still somewhat violent and, and still completely mis misplaced and misdirected. Well, exactly. And, and I know it's, it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, but, but what you have seen is pushback and, and violence. I mean, you know, when people throw things at a bus and people throw things at people, that, that's, that's violence. I mean, that's, that's not protest. That's taking it to the next level and an illegal level. Oh, absolutely. It's organized rioting. That's what Lock Street experienced on Friday. And, and to be quite honest, uh, I'm happy that I'm on the show with you today because there is a greater problem here. And it's the fact that this hasn't been addressed prior to. Um, this, this has been going on for some time uh, along Barton Street, as Anthony mentioned. There have been businesses that have been targeted there on James Street as well, and then outside into Westdale uh, and in Cumberland as well. We've seen some uh, incidents of vandalism, which has gone unchecked and unmonitored by Hamilton police and by the city of Hamilton. 
and it's it's gotten to a point where the police have, have by by our our encounters and by our impressions become apathetic to this up until now and i only can only hope that they seize this as an opportunity to say we've had enough of this uh, and this needs to stop you've met with police you've talked to police about this what have they told you uh, to be quite honest, my conversations with Hamilton Police uh, left me completely disenfranchised uh, and with a lack of faith in their ability to manage this group that is responsible for these types of incidences. There was a group of us that met with uh, the city of Hamilton and Hamilton Police back in the fall. The purpose of our meeting was to enlighten them as far as our own experiences along Barton Street and, and in some neighboring areas. And instead, we were met uh, first with a defense and, and second with a lack of knowledge, which was quite daunting considering that we, you know, within our group, we had our own incident numbers. We have, we have been reporting this to police. We have, you know, my, my event where we had 40 protesters show up in 2016 where one of their officers was assaulted in, uh, as Anthony mentioned, where one of the hats was stolen. This is not new. And this group has been escalating, and we knew this was happening. We've been watching them very closely, and we made this aware to Hamilton Police that they are taking a letter from what has been happening in Montreal, which is this blitz-style type of attack, and that we were concerned that they were going to be going in the exact same direction as what's been happening in Montreal. And we felt after that meeting with Hamilton Police in the city of Hamilton that our concerns were falling on deaf ears. What about, uh, you mentioned that you've been dealing with the city. What about the political response to this? Uh, obviously, your conduit, uh, your portal, I guess, for, for that sort of dialogue would happen either through city staff or maybe even more specifically through some of the people on Hamilton City Council that, that represent those wards. Are you getting any support, any response at all? No, no whatsoever. No. Uh, in fact, we sat with one of the councillors who uh, first tried to chalk it up to say that this is just mischief. Whereas it's gone beyond mischief, uh, it's it's entered into the realm of public safety prior to lock street. Mistrust. I, what, what, I'm, I'm baffled by that phrase. Why would mistrust actually be be used as a characterization here when you've got people that are protesting and throwing things at other people? That's not mistrust. Or mischief. Mischief. That's what they. He was accounting. They they wanted to chalk it up to mischief, and you know we obviously felt it's greater than that because these these individuals have been or this group. Uh, has been targeting businesses on Barton Street for some time, uh, and one business in particular to the point where they've been terrorizing them. They've been showing up in, in uh, small groups and standing outside of their establishment and screaming at them and telling them to leave the city and vandalizing their space. Uh, and then in past, they made a target out of me as well, where they've been reaching out to me through social media. They've targeted buildings that I've been associated with by vandalizing them. And uh, it, to say that this is mischief, it goes well beyond that because I was concerned about my own public safety. I was concerned about the public safety of others with my events. Um, that was definitely a concern of mine when I host these community events, uh, especially after the first one where we actually had a presence where these individuals showed up, I was concerned moving forward that I couldn't run my events because I was potentially going to have these incidences reoccur. But you went to police. I want mm -hmm. to be clear on this, Krista. You went to police and expressed concern about your own public safety. Yes. And they yes. said what? Um, well, 
the only time I, at, at first I would say that um, you know they were humoring me. If I, it later I, at first it seemed as if they were acknowledging it and they understood it. You know now that they were hearing my side of it and that they they saw that there was a bit more happening than what they suspected originally. However, following uh, our initial meeting and through some follow up uh, sit downs with Hamilton Police thereafter it felt as though that they had been humoring me and that they actually had no intention on really realizing uh, the nature of this group and what they're responsible for. So basically then, given your history, you're not surprised at what happened on Saturday night. I'm not. It's unfortunate, but this is something that we were uh, fearful of happening. Uh, the fact that it's happened is it's not a surprise at all. I find it interesting, just in our conversation over the last five minutes or so, Krista, you've uh, a couple of times used the phrase, these people. Uh, and when you've talked to police about that, they, they refer to them as this group. Uh, and then I, I juxtapose that with the, the statement, and that's all we have from police at this stage is a, a written statement uh, that says that they're investigating this and not sure who's responsible. Uh, it sounds to me as if these are people that, if I can use a phrase that gets thrown around an awful lot, are known to police, at least the people that are are akin to this kind of behavior. So, I mean, they they do have a starting point there if they wanted to use it. Absolutely. They've had that starting point for some time now. Yet it goes on. Yes. What's Unnecessarily. The, and these these are what I find fascinating about this and troubling and damn right sickening, frankly, is that what these idiots are doing is targeting local businesses. Small businesses, I, I, like like Anthony mentioned in our discussion a few minutes ago, you know, if if they've got this idea that well, you know, capitalism is wrong and we want to mm -hmm. fight, you know, that that's, you know, go after the big guys. Instead, they're going after mom and pop businesses that have set up little storefronts and are trying to make a go of it in this city, uh, and and we know the kind of you know barriers and the problems that they're facing on a consistent basis, and then you've got idiots like this coming along, throwing rocks through the window and trying to destroy those businesses. You can tell the, the only goal these people really have here is just to be destructive. And that's it entirely. You know, they'll, they'll claim a cause for whatever allows them to behave in this manner. And it's, it's not any surprise either that they choose the small businesses because that's where they can have the, greater, the greatest impact. If they go after the larger corporates, uh, corporations, the corporations have the type of funding where they can simply turn around these events. Whereas when they hit like Donut Monster in the, in the manner that they did, you know, they disrupted their business. Uh, now they have the task of having to replace all the windows. And they knew, and they know, and that's entirely why they targeted businesses like Donut Monster and all the other ones on Lock Street, is because it will have a great, greater impact. And further to their cause, I'm using quotations here, uh, you know, whether it be anti-gentrification, that's been my experience with them, that they've been, you know, toting around this, this banner of anti-gentrification. It's, it's unfortunate that they're using this cause as, for, as their reason for behaving in the manner that they are, because it can make us as a community become less compassionate towards those who are being harmed by gentrification. Well, yeah, but I, I listen, we, that's a discussion that I'm sure that has to be had, and, and, and it's happening not just in Hamilton, but in other communities as well. But if you're going to slap the label of gentrification on every apt attempt to improve dilapidated neighborhoods, I think we need, you know what, we better stop right there and, and, and get some, some definitions uh, identified, because uh, that, that's a, a broad-based phrase that people are simply using as, a, as a, an inane justification for what they're doing. Listen, there's a lot more to be discussed here. 
Uh, Krista, I, I know it's an upsetting time for you, and I know that you're going to move forward with the work that you're doing at Tri Hamilton. Uh, but you're going to have you know be looking over your shoulder, waiting for this sort of thing to happen again. We'll stay in touch on this, but I really appreciate you adding some uh, some insight into this today. Thanks for this. Oh, thanks, Bill. Thank you for having me, Krista Boyer from Tri Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger was uh, on Lock Street yesterday after the events of Saturday night, uh, talking to a number of the residents and a number of the businesses. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Mr. Mayor, thanks for uh, taking some time on uh, what I'm sure is a busy Monday for you. Yes, good morning, Bill. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this. And I, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, uh, Mr. Mayor, I'm, I'm I'm all for this idea about, yeah, let's, let's get behind the Lock Street businesses and, and support that. But I think there's a greater question, and as a member of the Police Services Board, I'll throw this out to you. Uh, I think we need to get some answers as to how this is happening, why this is happening, and, and why some of these groups that have been identified by a number of citizens like Krista Boyer and others that are saying, look, these people have been around for a while. Why aren't you doing something about this? Well, I mean, people are, uh, are entitled to have uh, an opinion and, a, and a, you know, a personal view or an ideology that uh, that is the essence of free speech in our country. But uh, when they start to act out in a, in a violent manner, the way that uh, it happened on Saturday night, that's when it becomes criminal activity. And that's when uh, we, we need to start digging in a little deeper in terms of who these people are, why they were there, who, who was there throwing rocks or uh, threatening people or threatening property uh, and doing the damage. And uh, bring them to justice. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know, crimes are not committed because people want to get together and share an ideology. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I would say this, that the police are generally well aware of the groups that are out there that need to be monitored and uh, kept an eye on. Uh, that, that includes gangs. That includes, uh, you know, dis- disruptive organizations. Uh, you know, they have, uh, they have, uh, they have records of uh, those kinds of organizations, and they do track what they do. But uh, but they uh, you know more you know if, unless they get into criminal activity there's not much that uh, that the police can do ahead of time. No, I, so I, I get that. Say, uh, I get that. But, but you know when when if we're to believe the st- the reports we've heard so far, uh, this group started organizing around Duran Park, which is a considerable distance away from Lock Street. Uh, we're throwing rocks at police that responded to that call, and and you figure and, and I'm told that police simply followed them down the street over to Lock Street. I mean, already uh, in my mind, they've engaged in criminal activity. I I just think it's something that has to be discussed at the next police service board meeting about conduct on this and 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 about police action and how they responded to this. And I I I'm with you. I th- but I think this city does provide forums for that kind of debate about d- gentrification or any other issue. And it does yeah. allow for peaceful protests. You have them at the City Hall Plaza on a continual basis and in other locations. Sure. And, 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 you know, when we had people from the indigenous community that wanted to protest the road, the expressway a few years ago, well, they closed the road down and let them march in a peaceful protest. But throwing rocks and vandalizing properties and, and cars and, and, and threatening people, that's a whole different ballgame. Correct, and uh, and you know when you have a mob of thirty people doing that, that's a that's a particularly difficult difficult thing to uh, to manage and challenge, especially when you're caught off guard, you don't know what's happening, and they come in by surprise. So, I'm not here to second guess the police. I think that's an unfortunate thing that people are doing. I think they made exactly the right call. It could have been uh, much uglier. In fact, uh, you know, had uh, had the uh, the the whole issue escalated into uh, you know even more uh, threats and more harm. And so, uh, you know, I think I think police are always in a difficult situation, and it's easy to be an armchair quarterback and say you could have done this, you could have done that. I got the full briefing from the chief yesterday and from the staff sergeant that was on duty. Got a pretty good understanding of how it rolled out, and uh, I think they made exactly the right call. Having said that, it'll be discussed, and you know what? Uh, these kinds of things we want to prevent. 
Uh, we want to be able to be prepared, but uh, it's hard to be prepared when people are doing this in isolation and, uh, you know, just coming out of the woodwork and all of a sudden, boom, there's a gang of 30 hooded uh, thugs out there throwing rocks and, uh, and destroying property and potentially hurting people. Now, fortunately, no one was hurt. Uh, that's a good thing, but uh, you know, throwing rocks and uh, you know, indiscriminately in, into neighborhoods and through windows where people are seated, sitting and eating, are uh, you know, potentially could uh, seriously hurt someone. So they're, they're, this is criminal activity. I don't think we should see it as anything. But having said that, you know, some are trying to characterize this as a protest movement. I don't know what the message is. I haven't heard a message. Uh, if there is a, a message about, uh, you know, in, in, uh, intensification and gentrification, fair enough. We're well aware of that. And there are a number of things that we're trying to do to try and balance things out. Income inequality, much is being done. Uh, obviously not enough for those that are on the marginalized side. But we're doing much and we're well aware of it. And it's, in, in some respects, not something that we can totally can control. So we're doing our best. So the question then becomes is what what's criminal activity and what's, safe, legal, reasonable protest, this is not that. And I agree. And, and as I mentioned earlier, there is a forum for that sort of discussion and debate. And uh, But but I'm not going to legitimize what happened on Saturday night as a, as a protest. I mean, when people cover their faces and, and destroy other people's property, that's that's not protest. That's criminal activity. And I, I'm just right. hoping police treat it as such. And, and we may have to agree to disagree on, on the reaction to this because they knew that this group was here. They saw them marching down the street towards Lock Street, and uh, and well, we saw what ensued. Anyway, it's ma- it's national news, Mr. Mayor, uh, for all the wrong Absolutely. reasons, and it, it's running counter to to the positive message that's come out of the city right now. So obviously, uh, we've got some some work to do here to try to to eradicate that from people's minds and start talking about what's going on in Hamilton. Well, and you know, and, and, and we can certainly turn that into a positive. So, you know, it's a negative activity that uh, no one would, would, have, would have liked. Uh, I would say the positive that comes out of this for me was uh, the, uh, the, the, the show of support from uh, the residents, uh, not only in the neighborhood, but from the entire city, to come down to Lock Street in the area, support the neighbors, support the businesses, uh, you let them know that we care, that, uh, you know, the notion of, uh, if there's an attack against any one of us, it's a ta- an attack against us all. It was really quite evident uh, yesterday, uh, you know, as I wandered around uh, through Lock Street. So I'm heartened by that. I think that is a, a good message. I would say that the, the stuggery was uh, ineffective. What it did, in fact, was, uh, was inspired people to gather together even more and stand against this. And that, uh, that's the, the, the positive side of this whole scenario. So no one, no one's looking for this kind of activity. Uh, we need to respond accordingly. The, the police will take this significantly seriously, and I'll make sure that that happens. And I have no doubt that they do. And they are they're they're turning over every stone, every piece of video, every picture, every piece of information that they can gather, that hopefully the public at large can share, that uh, will help them uh, capture some of these folks and uh, bring them to justice and let them practice their their uh, their anarchy or their ungovernability in jail. Well, a lot of witnesses, obviously a lot of video from uh, from cameras of people that were on site, and uh, hopefully you can get some answers on this. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for the time today. Greatly appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. The threat, and that's really what it is, from uh, Donald Trump to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum and uh, now, he didn't specify, but in subsequent tweets and some of the announcements he's made over the last couple of days, yeah, he is targeting Canada. And he mentioned and tried to tie this into the NAFTA negotiations, as we speculated he would. 
and uh, his uh, minions, whether it's uh, Ross or others, uh, on all the news shows on uh, Sunday morning on uh, the various major networks in the states, uh, basically said that look, there's not going to be any chance of anybody getting any exemptions here. This is this is what Trump wants to do. Uh, well, not everybody agrees with that, including a number of uh, people that spoke up on this uh, from the U.S. Senate and Congress, including U.S. Senator Angus King. You want to do these kinds of things with a scalpel, not a chainsaw. And, and what worries me is, you know, the whole world, that he, he said 25% and 10% on the whole world in the name of national security. I don't think we need to block Canadian steel in the name of national security. These are Americans speaking up, including, by the way, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who is quite vocal in his uh, opposition to what Donald Trump is proposing to do. So with this announcement, uh, what's in store for Canada? What can we do about this, and what are the ramifications? Joining us to talk about this is uh, Peter Warian, Distinguished Fellow at Innovation Policy at the Mug School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Peter, thank you so much for the time. It's good to get it with us today. Thank you. I don't know how good a day it is for steel, but uh, we're here. Well, or for the Canadian economy, for that matter. I'm, I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, numbers that we've been throwing around here, Peter, but uh, yeah, we talked with the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce about this uh, late last week, and, and they're suggesting that if this comes to, to, to pass, that there could be upwards of 40,000 jobs just in this area, that either directly or indirectly affected. I mean, this, this is a big deal. This is, this is certainly a big deal, and I think it's big trouble. Now, uh, before we blow ourselves off completely, I mean, they could be disrupted. It doesn't automatically mean every job is lost. Exactly. We're headed for a major disruption, and um, in the first half of last week, we had the steel and aluminum stuff. We'll come back to that in a minute. But then we had the possibility, I had said somewhere else, you know, the second shooter drop would be NAFTA, and Trump's tweets this morning are directly making that link. So um, I think we're dealing here more with politics than economics. The um, the steel thing doesn't make any sense uh, in the sense that, uh, particularly since the NAFTA came into effect, you know, 35 years ago or, or whatever, that that there's an integrated North American steel market. We ship to uh, the, the states around as much steel uh, as they ship. You can argue the tonnages and the, the dollar value, but it's something like we've shipped. Six billion uh, into the states. They've shipped five and a half billion north. We are both each other's biggest question uh, uh, customers. So, what's this about? I think it's about China. But China ships very little steel directly to the states. Uh, they ship seven times as much steel to uh, Korea that they do um, they do um, uh, China. Now, China directly. Now, I think there, if you're, if it's not just political rhetoric and political posturing, there is a problem. That's usually called indirect trade in steel. Um, so if, when you listen to the Americans, they're talking about the overall trade imbalance. Well, there isn't a trade, really a trade imbalance of any measure in steel. They manufacture goods. So if you get pipe from uh, Korea coming into the United States, but they got the pipe itself from China, uh, uh, that may be an issue. And there's actually a U.S. trade case uh, coming up that is on that issue so it's it's um so you have to say what is this about it it's actually about china uh now the nafta thing i think is into bullying uh, uh canada and mexico uh, which is pretty obvious in this case so it but it puts us in a tight tight uh, difficult situation either way and hamilton will be one of those both because of steel but also there's so much auto i mean there's there's six auto assembly lines within 125 miles of of, of um of uh, Hamilton and all kinds of parts producers. So 
double whammy. Well, we've got three of them right here in the city. I mean, sure. there's Orlick Industries, there's Stackpole, and of course, yep. uh, a number of uh, smaller uh, entities, and, and especially steel operations that are going to be impacted by this. But Peter, as I, I listen to what Trump is saying and follow some of the stuff on Twitter, uh, first of all, it makes your head spin, but I, I, I'm just overcome by this this decision that, that he basically doesn't much have much of an understanding, if any understanding, of how international trade works. Well, he just uh, he's just flat up does two things. He defines it as a zero-sum game. What I win, you lose. What you lose, I win. And secondly, it's almost entirely directed towards trade in goods, not trade in services. Because particularly between Canada and the United States, when you took ser- services into account, uh, Canada runs a serious deficit with the United States. But that doesn't uh, count in Washington. So, and, and he believes what he wants to believe. And it's, it's like that old cliche, you know, don't, uh, don't confuse me with the, the facts here. I've already made up my mind. Well, he said, that's what I ran on, that's who I am. And I got elected. So, now this is, that doesn't, uh, uh, so we got the problem regardless of political posturing or not. So we have to deal with that reality. And, and I, I assume that uh, the phone lines were busy over the weekend uh, asking for exemptions. But uh, if I, I'm to go by the comments from Wilbur Ross and from some of the others that uh, spoke on, on the news programs yesterday, that's not going to happen. I don't think so either. I don't think it's there. Uh, there may be some, you know, piecemeal negotiations later, but an exemption for Canada, I did not think that was likely last week, and uh, I'd say it's damned unlikely, uh, given uh, the rhetoric over the weekend. So we're going to wear the problem. But, Peter, with the, the thing, as you just explained about the China situation, if, in fact, they're concerned about China and they're concerned about dumping and they're concerned about the impact that China's doing and unfair trade practices... I mean, surely somebody could have pointed to him and probably just put a piece of paper in front of him. I know he doesn't like to read, but nonetheless, that I, I believe Canada obviously is the number one trading partner when it comes to steel, but China, I think, is seventh on that list. Right. That, that this policy is going to have little to no impact on China anyway. Right, but there is a problem up there. Number one, we talked a couple of minutes ago about indirect trade. Yeah. It shows up measure. But there is a second one uh, that, that's not crazy, uh, which is basically it's the price level. China, China has half of the world's uh, steel capacity, so they set the marginal price. So you have to sort of say, how is it that you got a whole bunch of, uh, they got a bunch of new mills, but a bunch of old mills? How is it these otherwise uncompetitive mills are staying in existence? And actually, you have to look at Australia. Australia bought the whole enchilada from Goldman Sachs that you're going to have a um, um, a 30-year super cycle in steel and, and metals, and it screeched to a heart all after 10. But Australia hugely, unbelievably expanded their iron ore industry and took on a whole lot of debt. That's come crashing down. And you have uh, uh, Australian iron ore uh, folks just sort of dumping the ore out just to pay their banks. And that, uh, that ultra-low, ultra you know, artificially low uh, iron ore is helping a lot of these Chinese mills stay in operations. Um, uh, Gonzalez, the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs Authority, uh, on that. I think he's got something there. If, if you really want to look at the global problem, you have to look at the whole global industry. Where is China getting its iron ore and the terrible situation that Australia got its in itself, where they're now just dumping it off virtually for free? But with this, this scenario that you've just painted here, with what's happening in Australia, and, and as you say, the indirect trade that's going on, would it not be in the best interest of the United States to actually try to find allies to try to do something about this instead of isolating themselves? Well, uh, you and I can both see it. Um, yes, you're right. Absolutely, and I agree with you. But uh, the Trump's tapped into something in the American body politic 
that America is just withdrawing from its traditional role in the world of not not leading. And then you just get the dogs fighting around the the, the remaining shrinking bowl. But I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. But it's it uh, Trump is you know, the worrisome thing there is that in the American body politic there is this uh, uh, view that um, uh, and it's out there that America um, uh, is going is stepping back from its its uh, the world view and the world world commitments and that makes the world a dangerous place for Americans and everybody else. Well, let's talk about those ramifications. And, and we saw the pushback from Lindsey Graham and other high-ranking Republicans that are expressing their displeasure with Trump's idea about the tariffs and, and trying to uh, try to school him, I guess, basically, about the impact that it could have on the American economy, on jobs, and on, on prices there. Is he oblivious to that because he still understands that this is going to score points with his base? I think that, uh, yes. And it, it, that's why we get back. It, it matters how he does that because there is a way he can do it where he can just simply impose an executive order, and one week from now, somebody's got a million-dollar uh, order of steel uh, going into, the, into you know Kansas City or something, and unless you put, if you're the Canadian, unless you put $250,000 cash up front in advance, that truck will not be allowed to enter. So this can be real problems within a week. Could you maybe just give us the, the thumbnail sketch about tariffs and how they work? Because there seems to be some misunderstanding about that. That, the, For instance, if there's a tariff on Canadian steel, it's actually the, the people that are, are importing that for, into the United States that would pay that. Is that not right? No, I think the shipper has to pay it. Oh, the shipper pays? Yeah. Because I'm hearing conflicting reports about that, that, that if company ABC in Chicago decides to order Canadian steel, that they have to pay the duty on it. Well, all right. If you heard that directly from one of the companies, that they're better at that than I am. The point is, the guy in Chicago is then going to turn around and say, "Well, I'm not. I'm not. I've got a contract for this deal. I'm not going to give you 25 percent more." So the deal, you know, the, the deal is going to be frozen, right? The steel isn't going to ship. And as a result, as as uh, many Republicans, not just Democrats, but Republicans have said, this is uh, this is going to cause reduction in product productivity in the United States. It's going to cause prices to increase. It is. Uh, for Americans, not just for Canadians. So, I mean, we're not the only ones that are, are wringing our hands about this. Sure, but uh, Trump can just impose an executive order, and then, to say the least, he's not a details guy, and then just leave it. If the uh, Congress wants to negotiate or something, he'll just ignore He's done his shtick, and uh, everyone else has got to eat the result. What are the ramifications vis-a-vis -vis trade wars? And, and I know he even tweeted about that. I'm sure you saw that on Friday, I guess it was, Peter. Uh, that he loves trade wars because we can always win them. Uh, that's a rather simplistic view of, of trade wars and the impact they can have on economies, isn't it? Right. And the first thing is just from this, uh, this morning in Europe. The Europe Senate, if you go ahead and do this, so somebody can and kick you in the knee about uh, steel and, and aluminum. You decide to reply, but you're not, restri you're not restricted to replying on aluminum and steel. So the Europeans have said this morning, we're going to uh, we're going to tax bourbon because that'll hit get Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, and we're going to get motorcycles. That'll hit Harley Davidson. So that and that's what leads you into this escalation of a trade war, right? You start off on something that's bad enough in itself, like steel and, and aluminum, but the other guy's going to reply, and the Europeans have said absolutely we're going to we're going to retaliate, but we'll choose where we uh, retaliate, and they can choose motorcycles. Okay, they can choose iPhones. They are not restricted to the domain that the original uh, complaint came in. 
What does that do to to the economic balance and the economic trade balance between the EU, between the United States? And let's throw China into this because they're going to be impacted, and you got to figure they're going to respond. Well, you saw even last week. The, this is uh, important not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this this can trade cause an international trade war, and that could tip us into a depression or a recession, at least a severe recession. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that's that's that has happened in the past. That happened in the 1930s. Well, and historically, and and again, I guess Trump doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to history, but historically, I guess the last two presidents that have tried to impose these, I think Reagan did, and I believe George Bush did, or W. Bush did, yeah. uh, and had to rescind them because of the negative impact it was having on the U.S. economy. Yes, but that took took two or three years to take place. Meanwhile, the damage is done. Well, that's I mean, that's not, typical of governments, though, isn't it, Peter? They wait well, until okay, you know if if uh, you're a citizen, the water's up to your neck before they decide to to put a plug in the hole. And there are proceed legal procedures that go on, except that uh, that means the um, that's not going to be much consolation for the people of Hamilton. No, uh, the impacts are already going to be felt by that stage. Yeah. What would you expect the Canadian government to do? Are they going to play the same game that the EU is doing at this stage and simply decide that, okay, we're going to retaliate with this, this, or this? or In other words, pick something. It won't be steel, clearly, but something else? Uh, I don't have any secret information. I think they will threaten it. Uh, they will threaten it. And then I think, uh, so they will threaten it. And then I think the spotlight goes on to the NAFTA negotiations. Which uh, we're told wrapped up uh, yesterday, and uh, I, I'm, well, I guess we have to wait and see exactly what's going to happen. But uh, and again, we can only speculate at this stage as to whether or not this was all part of a master plan, which I find hard to believe, uh, to try to exert more pressure on the NAFTA deal. It just seemed as if they're two separate things that uh, somebody in the White House has decided to try to tie together over the weekend. And uh, we know pretty good idea of who that was, but the details on this really matter, and. They say that we're going to have the details on Thursday, Friday. So we actually have to see, you know, we have to see um, what the um, what the uh, great hairy figure is in front of us. Uh, but we the, the details matter. That's all I'm saying. And we will we're going to be back at this. <laughs> but getting the details just so um, it won't be necessary a bunch of us smiles on our face. But getting the the details on it, the actual. Uh, mechanism is really important for us. And and the official word we're hearing, just very quickly here, from the Canadian government, from the federal level anyway, is the same as you just articulated. Well, we need to get all the details first, but behind the scenes, are, is there some hand-wringing and some consternation in Ottawa? Oh, I'm sure there is. And um, and the, um, the uh, comments on the various TV uh, shows and the tweets on the weekend will only make that worse. Peter, always a pleasure to get you on the program and offer some insight into this. Thanks so much for the time today. Sure. Probably talk another time. You betcha we will. Thanks uh-huh. again. Peter Warren, of course, a distinguished fellow, innovative policy at the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. And uh, it'll be later on this week, probably, as Peter mentioned, Thursday or Friday, before they uh, give us some of the details about this tariff deal. But uh, I'm telling you, uh, anybody that thought the exemptions were going to be in order, uh, no, I think you're dreaming in Technicolor. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.